That's good to see everyone. Today our message is called God Has a Plan. We need to take it seriously. Well, we are in the book of Micah. We are going to be in Micah chapter 4 and 5 today. Now, if we remember when we started Micah a couple weeks back, we used the illustration of alarm clocks. How many woke up to an alarm clock this morning? Probably every single one of you did. God uses the prophets as his mouthpiece to proclaim alarms to the nation of Israel. Okay? And so when you read any of the prophets, what it is, it is a proclamation, okay, to the nation saying, hey, there's something going on in your, in your life, there's something going on in you as a nation, you need to correct. And we learned uh, four particular alarms. We learned the, that the nation of Israel during this time of Micah was, had a problem with idolatry. Idolatry. They were involved with the worship of graven images. And if we know anything about Old Testament law, that is the first commandment that God gave them. Do not bow down to any other graven images. Along with that idolatry came immorality, and there was another issue that God had to deal with the nation with. Well, we talked a little bit about idolatry in our lives. And so our life lesson was like, what are things in our life that are taking attention and time and energy away from God? And I asked us to, to deal with those things in our life. There, and there could be a plethora of, of, of issues and things in our life. Then we've seen in, My, in Micah chapter 2, we've seen this idea that Micah was broken for the sins of the nation of Israel. He was broken, weeping, crying. And, and, and we learned that we need to be broken when we sin. We need to be broken in our lives. And we even took it a step further as we looked at Galatians chapter 6, that when others sin and fall, we need to be there for them to bear each other's burdens and, and weep and cry in sin so we can be restored back into fellowship with God. Another issue that the nation of Israel had during this time in Micah's uh, prophet, uh, the prophetic time um, was they were had they, dealing with injustice. Amongst the nation of Israel, they were treating each other badly. Ripping each other off, taking land, taking cattle, taking this, and just getting it for their own gain. And we learned the, the life lesson there. We learned that we need to die to self. They were, they were going after their own worldly passions. And for us here, a thousand years removed, guess what? That is the same thing we deal with, isn't it? We desire things that aren't ours. We covet things, and we need to die to self every day. Die to self every day. And lastly, we learned one thing you do when you hear an alarm, what do you do? You take action. Right? There's, you, you don't continue to let the alarm go off unless you're my wife, then that happens a lot. You knock that alarm, you get up, and you start your day. Well, the nation of Israel needed to figure out and listen to God and take action. What we see here in Micah 4 and 5, we see this glimpse of hope. See, Micah 1 through 3, God is coming down on them. Listen, you're going to be oppressed. You're going to be in the captivity. We have the Assyrian captivity in 722 B.C. That's what he's talking about here. In Micah chapter 4 and 5, we're going to, he's going to look even farther down the road. You're going to be oppressed again with the Babylonians. But chapters 4 and 5, despite judgment, God gives them hope. The millennial kingdom. So if you have your Bibles, Micah chapter 4, you want to put there beside Micah 4. This is referring to the millennial king, kingdom of Jesus Christ. Another cross-reference there would be Revelation 19 and 20. Now just, again, this is for the nation of Israel. We're going to get there, but guess what? I'll give, give you a little spoiler alert. We get to join the millennial kingdom as well. Yes, that, the first service was kind of like, oh, oh, really? Yeah. We get to enjoy this with our Jesus. So let's read Micah 4, 1 through 5. 
It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mount of the house of the Lord will be established at the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and the people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. One thing we must understand, when we get into the millennial kingdom, there was one law we will follow. It's not these corrupt politicians that we have to follow, amen? We will follow the law of Christ. That will be the law of the land. I mean, you, look, you, kinda, you think about that, it's like, wow, that is going to be exciting. That the law of the land being Jesus' law. Verse 3, and he shall judge between peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords, circle the word swords, with plowshares and their spears, circle spears, into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. What one word comes to mind when you hear the word spear and sword in this culture? War. War. What God's saying here, no longer will those things be used for war, but they will be used for peace, prosperity, and be used for abundance for the nation of Israel. Another side note for us, if you look, turn back to Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 2 gives us these same exact words, verses 2 through 4. You can read them verbatim. It's exactly what Micah says here. Micah, you say, well, who's, who's plagiarizing who? They're not plagiarizing any, anybody. They're listening to the word of God. And if you remember back in Mark, you remember when there was a, a, an event that was in all four of the Gospels, and we said, you know what? God wants us to know something here. God wants us to pay attention to this. Well, here, remember, Isaiah and Micah are contemporaries in their prophecy towards the nation of Israel. This here, this kingdom, future hope that Micah and Isaiah are telling the nation of Israel, God wants the nation, the nation of Israel to get. Listen, I know there's judgment coming, but I love you, and guess what? I'm going to give you hope. I'm going to give you a, a place of peace, no war. Verse 4, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall take them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Again, this is a symbol of abundance, of prosperity. Verse 5, for all the people walk each in the name of this God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And Micah's just saying, listen, all the people now are walking, they're following their own gods, they're following their graven images, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever. Verses 6, and that day declares, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who are cast off, a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them with the Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come to pass. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Israel. This is all talking about a future kingdom that we have yet not seen. This is future for us as well. When we're reading this text. This morning, I'd like us to look at four observations. Four observations I believe this text shows us. We see God telling the nation of Israel. The first observation is God promises the nation a promise of peace. A promise of peace to the nation of Israel. So we have to kind of jump ahead. So again, we preach the text. So when we read Malachi 4, we're talking about the, we're talking about the kingdom. Guess what? We've got to talk about the word eschatology. I know that's a, that's a kind of a scary word, but what's eschatology mean? 
Thank you, Elmer. Study of future times, future events. And so that's all the word eschatology means. So I'm going to go through with you just a real snapshot of what we here at Faith Bible Church believe in the area of our end times or our eschatology. You see here on the chart before you is we are in the church age right now. The cross, the church age. 2,000 years we've been living in the church age. At some point, and it could be very, very soon, we are looking to the clouds, as we read in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. The Lord will descend to the heavens, and he will harpazo and rapture us up as the church. Amen. Get us out of here, right? And we will be in the marriage supper of the Lamb, have our award ceremony in heaven during that time. In the meantime, here on earth, God will bring the nation of Israel back to the front burner. Right now, they're on the back burner. To the front burner, he will bring judgment upon the nation to bring them back to himself. That's the purpose of the tribulation period. And then at the end of the tribulation period, after the Antichrist says, hey, worship me, go through all that mess here on earth, we're still in heaven. Revelation chapter 19 and 20 is a picture of us. Jesus on his white horse with the armies of heaven. Guess who that is? That's us armies of heaven coming down to set up, to annihilate the armies of the world and to set up his kingdom right here mentioned in Micah chapter 4. And then after the millennial kingdom, well, let's, let's say this, where Satan is thrown into the dungeon. Yay, right? And then after the millennial kingdom, Satan still tries to turn people's paths away from God and Jesus destroys him. And guess what? God will destroy heavens and earth. A great, great white throne will come down in the middle of, the, middle of space. All people will stand, all, all individuals who did not trust Jesus Christ as their Savior will stand before a holy God and give an account for what they did. And then after that, it says there in Revelation that God will wipe all tears away from our eyes and he will create a new heaven and a new earth where we will reign with him forever and ever and ever. We like vacations, don't we? So some of us, how many have been to Disney World? Disney World? You like Disney World? Well, there's a picture here. You see a picture of Disney World. I've been there once. It's great. It's the magical kingdom. You probably look forward to going to Disney World, right? Especially your kids. I can't wait. How about France? Have you been to France? Yeah, the Eiffel Tower. If you want to wear berets and speak weird, eat weird. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Go for it. I have no desire to go to France, you know. Or cruises. Maybe on cruises. What happens when we have these vacations? Maybe it's this summer we're going to these places. We are excited. We are starting to prepare. We're starting to plan for these vacations. You know what? When we read Scripture like, like Micah 4 and Revelation 19 and 20 as Christians, we can get excited about our future. You know, so the past month, two months, death has been pretty, pretty frequent in our family. My uncle, my mom, uh, friends who've passed away, have been to a lot, people here at church, been to a lot of funerals the past, you know, month and a half. It's been absolutely crazy. And I, there was, there was someone at my mom's uh, uh, view of the funeral service, and hey, you know, your, your, your mom's, she's looking down on you. No, she's not. She is enjoying her Jesus. So when our, when our theology what we believe, what God tells us about what heaven will be like and what we will be like, and that catches up to our emotion. You know, we get emotional and we understand there's things. There's, you know what? I want to be where my mom's at. We should all want to be there. Why? Because that's our end game. And it's just like a vacation brochure, we can open the pages of Scripture and say, man, I'm going to be with Jesus right here. What Mike is talking about, we're going to be rolling and reigning in the kingdom. That's exciting. So we need to treat the Word of God as a vacation brochure for us for our future. 
we will be with him forever and ever. God has placed many promises in his word. So just real quick, I thought we would just look at a few. God has given us, given the nation of Israel here, a promise of peace. The promise of peace, right? The kingdom. I want us to look at John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We have the promise of salvation. For us that put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we have an eternal home. Our sins are forgiven. We don't have to pay for our sin ever again because Jesus once and for all paid that for us. So the promise of salvation. How about the promise of trust? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understandings and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. We can trust in God and give him our problems, give him our concerns. As we sang that song, I lay it down, I lay it all. God will make our path straight. What, what, what a great promise. Or the idea of comfort. Hebrews 13, 15, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even here in the nation of Israel, it seemed like through the judgment that God was bringing, bringing to the nation of Israel, did God desert the nation of Israel here? No. He was always right there with them throughout this problem. And we have that same promise. We have that Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter that's living in us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. What a great promise. How about his provision? Matthew chapter 6 the Sermon on the Mount where, where Jesus is there standing there by the Sea of Galilee saying, listen, if I take care of the birds, if I take care of the flowers of the field, how much more will I take care of you? We can trust and have that promise that God has us provided for. And all of us here can tell story how God has provided us through our life. And lastly, I love the word perseverance. We, can, we have this idea of persevering in the hope of Christ. Isaiah 40, 31. You shall mount up with wings as eagles. You shall run and not be weary. You shall walk and not faint. We have this promise of persevering with the help of God in our life. Now, I could keep going to promises, but we would be here all day. But when we are discouraged and down and out, we can turn to the pages of the Word of God and see these promises. nation of Israel here is going to go through some tough times, but God has given them a promise of a kingdom, a promise of peace that they will see someday. Let's look at verses 9 through 13 in chapter 4. Now Micah now turns kind of, the, kind of a different conversation. now asks them three rhetorical questions. He says this, Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain sees you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. So now he's not only talking about the Assyrian captivity. He's saying, listen, down the road after the Assyrian captivity, guess what? There's another group of people that you're going to be being held captive, the Babylonians. Ugh. It looks pretty bad for the nation of Israel. And he asks three questions. Why do you cry aloud? Why do you make sound like you are in pain? Now, it gives the illustration, ladies who, who have had children, understand the labor pains you had. Judy didn't really have labor pains. It was all good. <laughs> She's like, shut up, right? I would never say that I know the pain. Believe me, I've been there, done that, and it didn't work well for me. Just suck it up. What are you talking about, right? It's the pain. Israel is going through pain of the consequence of their sin, being held captive. He asked the next question, is there no king in you? Where is your king? 
So, hey, you, you guys did things on your own. So, okay, you have this king. So, how, how's, that, how's that fair for you? Who's your king? Where's he at? And lastly, we see there, how's your counselor, has your counselor perished? Well, did your king die? Did your counselor perish? Why are you in such disarray? Why are you in the condition you are in? This leads us to our second observation this morning. The second observation is the process of pruning. God is pruning the nation of Israel here. 722, Assyria. 586, Babylonian. He's using two areas, two times, where he's going to prune them, discipline them. Two pagan nations. And because of their sin of idolatry, they could not get it. They could not walk away from these pagan gods. So what about us? We could take a lesson about pruning in our life. Now, I know nothing about pruning. Actually, if I try to prune something, it ends up dying. So I'm not the type of, type of guy to ask about pruning. But here's what the definition of pruning means. To cut off or cut back parts for better shape or to be more fruitful in the branches. How many of you guys do pruning in your garden? Yeah, so you understand that. It's to bear forth better fruit. See, this is the process that God was using for the nation of Israel, Israel for, the, for the two times of captivity, but what about our lives? Those times of discipline that God uses to make us more fruitful. It's, it's kind of weird to think it that way, but that's what discipline does. I love what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 6. He says this, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. My dad used to state this verse as I was bent over to touch my ankles and get spanked. I tell you, the Lord loves who he disciplines. Yeah, yeah, right, Dad. Okay, just get it done with so I can get on with my life, right? But it's true. Discipline brings forth a better fruit and a better life. Look what he says in Hebrews 12, 10. For they discipline us for a short time as it seems best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. See, we can have a couple different attitudes like when God is disciplining us, we can resist it and fight God. God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? This is just not fair. It, it stinks to be a Christian. I can't believe that you're allowing me to go through this. This attitude will only bring sorrow and despair in your life. Israel here has to learn that lesson. You've got to go through this, but God has a hope, a promise for you in the future. I love what Warren Wearsby says here. He says, punishment is the work of a judge. Chastening is the work of a father. Punishment is handed out to uphold the law. Chastening is given out as a proof of love for the bettering of a child. Now, we think about that from, from a parenting perspective with children, yes. But think of that from our Heavenly Father's perspective in our life. Do we look at God when we're disciplined, when you know, we're, He's chastising us for something God uses His word, God uses a friend, a family member to put us in our places. Listen, this is in your life. You need to get rid of this. Do we look at that? Mind your own business. You can't judge. Don't judge me, right? That's the famous word that Christians use when we're brought up with sins confronted to us. But is God using that to prune us, to make us more fruitful for him? Church, that's one way we need to look at it. Israel is going through pruning. We will go through pruning as well in our lives. Accept it, not as judgment, but that God has our best interest at heart through it. Let's look at verse 10, Micah 4. There you shall be rescued. Here's another verse of hope. So he talks about judgment, hope. He asks the three questions. So where's your king? Where's your counselor? But I'm going to rescue you, he says. There the Lord will redeem you from the hands of your enemy. 
Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled, and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan. And he has gathered them as she's to the threshing floor. He set up Syria and Babylon to do his thing, but he's got their number as well. He's going to take care of them as well. Arise, verse 13, and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron and I will make your hoofs bronze. You shall beat in pieces many people and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord, and to the whole earth. So who was the king that freed the, Israel, the Israelites from Babylon? Remember in Daniel? King Cyrus is the one who freed him. A pagan king loved Daniel, loved the people, the Jewish people. Hey, he freed them to go back to Jerusalem. Israel is always going to be that nation that will be on top militarily, as we see even today. God says, listen, I'm gonna, you are going to crush people. We can look through Israel's history, modern war history. What nation the size of New Jersey, amongst all that war, has survived? Israel. The Iron Dome defense system, Israeli. Our military at times are trained by Israeli soldiers. Why? Because they are the best. Every male has to join the, I believe, I, believe, I think this is right, correct me if I'm wrong. I think every male has to join, I think it's three years, full time, graduate high school. There's no college, you're going to the military. For every female, it's one year. And then after you're done your contract, you have to go active one month every year until you're 55. You don't mess with Israel. They're no joke. When we were over there, I remember we were, we were walking through the, you know, Jerusalem, and there was, there, there was you know, field trips of, you know, you know like, Bethany, you're there with your kids. She's, she's packing an AR-15 in the back, walking around. Hey, get a drink. Yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, right? Why? Because at any time, War could just end the nation of Israel. I mean, not end it, but break out in the nation of Israel. Those people, God's people are ready all the time. Prophecy being fulfilled, no one's going to take Israel out. God has got his hand. I've seen something funny on social media, the Iron Dome. It's not really a military defense. It's God's hand over the nation. That's the Iron Dome that Israel's had for thousands of years. Israel needs to trust the process of pruning. God is pruning them for a better time in their life. Go to verse 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter, o daughter of troops. Seize, siege is laid upon us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. This is speaking of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You want to put that there. Again, this is prophecy. This is all what Mike is telling them. This is their, their judge of Israel, who is Jesus, will be struck on the cheek. That's Jesus speaking of his crucifixion. And we, and we mentioned this verse when we opened Micah. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. This is referencing what? Jesus' first advent, his coming to earth to be born as a baby. And I love, we talked about that Hebrew word alone, ancient days. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, the Word was with God. See, it, it, there's no time there. He came before time. Talking about Jesus. Go down to verse 4. Again, this is referencing his second coming. This will reference Micah 4. He's speaking again of this kingdom. And he shall stand in a shepherd's flock in the strength of the Lord, of, in the majesty of the name of the Lord is his God. 
and they shall dwell securely, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and they shall be their peace. That's that that millennial kingdom he's referring to again, giving them that hope of a peaceful kingdom. Our third observation this morning is this. God gave the nation a permanent provider, a permanent provider through Jesus Christ, a permanent provider that would die for the sins of humanity. And even though 2,000 years ago they really didn't know who they were rejecting, remember they rejected Jesus, they, they, they murdered him, they mocked him. But again, Jesus is gonna get, God's going to give them a second chance in the tribulation period, and God's going to draw his people to himself again during that time. But in the meantime... We can look at Micah chapter 4. We can look at Micah chapter 5 as Christians, thousands of years removed. And we, because of the gospel, we can participate. Look at what Paul tells the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 3, 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Isn't that awesome? It's a mystery, Paul says, that we can be partakers of this great gospel. That we, even though this is for the nation of Israel, God has, the nation of Israel is not joined with the church. We are two separate entities. God is working those two separate entities out for his will and his purpose, but we get to participate because of the mystery of the gospel. That's exciting news. I want us to go down to Micah 5. Look Look at verse 10. So again, we see here judgment. We see hope. Continued hope of what was coming for the nation. Now Micah 5, 10 through 15. Remember, what, what, was, what was the nation of Israel's problem? Idolatry. We're going to read this text here, and I want us to uh, glean something from it this morning. And in the day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses, and among you will be destroyed your chariots. And I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. And I will cut off the sorcerers from your hand and you shall have no more tellers of fortune. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you and you shall bow down no more. I want you to underline this. This is very important. You shall bow down no more to the works of your hands, to the graven images. God is saying you will no longer, after this oppression, after this pruning, you will no longer bow. And I will root out Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. We have God gave us a promise of peace to the nation. We need to trust that's the process of pruning. He gave us a permanent provider through Jesus. Our final observation this morning in this text is this. It's the priority of praise. The nation of Israel will learn their priority of praise. You see all those Things that were listed there, I believe, is in verse, yeah, verse 10 and 11. Chariots, horses, cities, strongholds, sorcery, fortune tellers, carved images. What did God say he was going to do with these? I'm taking them away from you. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 17, you can go back and check this particular chapter. There's two things that God didn't want, did not want the nation of Israel to replicate. One was wives. Duh. Okay. Because we know how it worked out for Solomon. Solomon had 700 wives, 200 concubines. And what was his downfall with his wives? It tells us in Kings, it tells us this. It says that he did not take their gods off the high places. He allowed them to continue to worship their pagan gods, which infiltrated Solomon's house. 
So God was telling the nation, listen, you are not to marry anyone who is from a pagan culture because it would bring literally idolatry. The second thing God says in Deuteronomy 17 is this. God did not want them to gain horses. So you think, think militarily. If you are just dominating on the, on the battleground, in this culture, you're going to have some very, very good horses. Two reasons why God did not want them to get their horses. One, they would put their faith and trust in that animal. Think of the nation of Israel. Let's just go to Joshua, the Battle of Jericho, a story that we're very, very familiar with. What, what, what's the story? He goes up, he marches, takes his army, marches around. Seven days, six days, the seventh day, you blow your trumpet seven times, you blow your trumpet. What happened? The walls came down. You look at that battle plan, like, what? What in the world? They gave no glory. They couldn't give any glory to, until who? God. The other issue why they didn't want, God didn't want them to have horses, is in this time and culture, you know where you went to get the best horses for battle? You went to Egypt. You went to Egypt. And you can kind of think about where the connection of Israel and Egypt are. What did the nation of Israel complain about every time Moses brought them to a, a standstill? Oh, if you only let us in just Egypt, we would have been fine there, right? Because they had everything they could ask for. God did not want them to want to go back to Egypt, to fall into their idolatry by gaining horses. Trust in God or trust in man? God wanted them to trust in him. So we fast forward to the first century, and I, I'm going to share a story here from Flavius Josephus, a church historian, a historian for, for the Jewish people, about this particular incident. That we understand by reading this that the nation of Israel understood God says, you will no longer worship these gods. You will never use your hands to make graven images. Would you think as a nation being oppressed by two pagan cities and pagan world powers, you would learn your lesson? Yeah. Because you, we know the history of Assyria. We know the history of Babylon. They're bad dudes. They're bad dudes. And they made life miserable for Israel. But the story goes like this. Flavius Josephus tells a story that Pilate brought his soldiers from Caesarea Philippi to Jerusalem one winter month, just to have a presence there. And along with his soldiers, guess what he brought? He brought all the graven images from Caesarea Philippi. You remember Remember Caesarea Philippi, Mark? That was the Mecca of worship for three groups of people. The Jews, for, for, for Caesarea Philippi, it was the source of life, the water of life. So it was a place of worship. For the Greeks, they worshiped the god of Pan. Remember, I showed that picture of this big cave, and they would throw their animals in the rushing water to appease that god. So it was, it was a religious um, uh, place of worship for the Greeks. And then for the Romans, Caesarea Philippi was the place that they deified Caesar Augustus. And so Pilate brings these images down to Jerusalem, God's city. And the Jewish people freak out. They're like, Pilate, you can't do this. You, this goes against our faith. This goes against our, the very first commandments. We, learn, we know what God's going to do to us if, if we go back to bowing down to these images. They learn their lesson. Pilate became indignant with a snap of a finger, surrounded those Jewish protesters in Jerusalem, three deep swords drawn. And do you know what those Jewish people did? It was like a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego moment. They bore their necks to Pilate, and they said, do what you got to do. We will no longer worship graven images. Do you think the nation of Israel got it? Do you think the Jewish people got it? They understood 
what idol worship brought them as a nation in their past? Yeah. The good news is, after the Jewish people did that, Pilate got his soldiers, got his graven images, and went back to Caesarea Philippi, not touching any of the Jews, respecting them for their faith. The nation of Israel understood what the priority of praise was in their life. They understood when they gave priority to other gods, it was going to cost them dearly. So let me ask you this question. We're talking about Israel. Well, this is thousands of years ago, but what can we glean from, for application from this? What takes your priority of praise? What do you spend the most time doing? What gives your life has the most attention in your life? What is your priority in life? Is it praising things and your job and your family and your friends, or is it praising God where God is the one you praise? God is the one you adore, and everything else falls into place. See, in our lives, God's not necessarily going to cause an oppression to come upon us as a people during this time in the 21st century because we're worshiping idols. We don't worship graven images, but we worship things of our, of our life, our families, our friends, our jobs. What is your priority of praise? What is it? I can't answer that for you. I, I heard a pastor give this illustration once, and it's really powerful. If I was to walk in any one of your living rooms, what would we see? We would see couches, sitting areas, but what would be in the center of each of our living rooms? A television. Think about that. Man. But it's, it's aesthetically right. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I understand. But we make sure every seat can see the TV because when the game's on or we're watching our favorite show, sometimes that becomes a priority of praise for us. That becomes our praise. Athletics becomes that priority of praise. And so you see, God's got to deal with each and every one of us in our lives of what those idols are. So think about that. Think about what are you giving your time, your energy, your money to? What, what it exudes your, all your attention. And you give God a little, little bit on Sunday. It's a little, little bit. God, yeah, I'm happy. I pray. I have a couple, couple minutes of prayer in the morning with everything else. What is it? That's our priority. That's our priority. So as we close this morning, let's look at those four observations again. God gave the nation of Israel a promised peace, millennial kingdom. Brothers and sisters, we will be ruling and reigning with Jesus in that kingdom, Micah 4. Get excited about that. That's where we will be. Death has no sting. When we die, we're going to be with Jesus. And when that day comes, Revelation 19 and 20, we will be with Jesus, ruling and reigning on his kingdom here on earth. Get excited about that. Second observation is, listen, trust the process, process of pruning. God is pruning the nation of Israel here through two captivities. What's God going to do in your life to prune you, to make you again? Pruning is not judging. As Warren Wearsby says, pruning is chastising and correcting so you can be better, a better person living for God in the way that he wants you to live. He gave Israel, our third observation, a promise provider. And aren't you glad he's our promise provider too? He came as a, a lowly servant, lived 33 years, and bore our sins, past, present, and future, future on the cross so that we, put, we that put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ will spend eternity with him. If you're here today and you have never trusted Christ, or you, as a question you have, we would love to introduce you to this guy named Jesus because he is amazing and he will love you and care for you and you will spend eternity with him forever and ever and ever.
He will never leave you nor forsake you. And then this, the last observation is the priority of praise. The nation of Israel learned, as we've seen in this text, they learned their priority of praise cannot be the graven images. So let's look about it in our lives. What are areas that I am giving a, 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 a statue in my house? Not literally, figuratively. What is giving all my time and attention? Is that my priority? What will God have to do to get that down off the high places in your life? I pray that you hear the alarms in our life. Hear the alarms of what God's telling us to do in these areas. Hope you can see these four observations and apply them to your life this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all you've done for us. Lord, we are just so grateful for your word. I mean, we're reading texts that are thousands of years old, but Lord, we're learning what you had for the nation of Israel, but we can take application in our life because your word doesn't return void. Your word is life to us. It is our lifeblood. So thank you so much. Let's bow nice closed. And just, just take some time to reflect. Reflect on those four observations. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, Listen, we're, 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 we're sticking around here. You know, if you want to see us today or even this week, we would love to show you about this Jesus who can change your life. He will make you a new creature in Christ by putting your faith and trust in him. Those that are Christians here, let's, let's, let's prioritize. Let's look at these observations. What are areas of my life? What alarms are going off that I need to check in the area of idolatry? What are things that are taking priority in my life that shouldn't be? Not necessarily bad things or wicked things, but things that take priority over God. Dear church, we need to take care of that because we don't want God to prune us. I mean, we do, but we want to learn the easy way and just follow his word and take action. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you just look at those observations this week and, and ask God, God, where do I need to change? What do I need to do to be a better follower of you? Lord, give us a great week as we serve you in your precious name. Amen. Let's all stand up together. We'll sing, you cannot be stopped. Mountains.